Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. This is the word of God. Now these things, brothers, I've applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to go beyond what is written, so that no one of you will become puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have ruled without us. And how I wish that, I, that you had ruled indeed so that we may also rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for the sake of Christ, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are glorious, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and roughly treated and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to plead. We have become as the scum of the world, the grime of all things, even until now. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes to the truth of Scripture today. May we understand it and apply it to your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So you may be seated. I want to first begin today by considering the context of the passage, which we should always do, but I want to help you um, kind of learn how to do this in respects to the historical context, the immediate context, and the biblical context. And when we consider those three things, we can derive or discern what the passage actually means. So many of you may have been brought up in a situation where you just you know, close your eyes and point the Scripture and, and whatever vo- verse your finger comes to, that applies to you and I'm going to hold on to that and claim that today and that's not how the Bible works, okay? Um, scripture was divinely inspired, written by the Holy Spirit through men as mouthpieces of God, okay? And it is absolute truth and We have to consider, though, the context because it was written to someone in specific circumstances for specific reasons, and it meant something to them that we can derive application from, but it's for us, but it was not to us. Now, there are books of the Bible that that are for us and some that are, in a way, to us because they apply to us in the epistles, okay? So we can derive from the epistles some things that are about the church, about the conduct of the church. But in this specific case, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and we can learn from his interactions the letters that he wrote this church. So let's consider the historical context first. The apostle Paul planted the very first local church in that city of Corinth, which was a wicked city. Okay, it was a melting pot of all kinds of pagan religions. So people believed all kinds of things. Worldly wisdom uh, from all over, all over the region had come into this one city, and they were practicing all kinds of different wicked things, okay? 
Um, it was also a city that highly valued their modern day celebrities, just like we have Star Magazine or Celebrity Magazine, and it's all about, you know, whatever J-Lo and Brad Pitt are up to this week. They had stars of their own in their modern day, but these were men. They were, they were intellectuals. They were philosophers who would travel from city to city, and they would enamor people. They couldn't go to the movie. They couldn't turn on a podcast. They couldn't listen to music on their, you know, on their uh, smartphone, but they would bring in these men, philosophers from other cities that would speak so eloquently and so intellectually that they would hang on every single word. They were enamored with these men, okay? And it caused two main issues in this local church body in Corinth. Number one, they placed these men on a pedestal as champions of truth. So whichever one could speak the best, whichever one could enamor them or hold their attention, uh, that was the winner. And they would place those men on these, uh, make them heroes, movie stars of their day, really dispensing worldly wisdom instead of dispensing the truths of God's Word and what God had declared. Okay, so this was permeating the church at the time. And then this worldly wisdom had become the go-to source of truth for the Corinthian church. I like to I liken this to modern day memes. Like I, I've said before, man should not live on memes alone. Like people can go through their week on Facebook and read a whole bunch of memes that talk about Jesus, never really read the Bible, but boy, they feel encouraged by all these awesome memes. Well, that's not the way it really works either. We need God's word. And, and so they had this, this source of philosophy, this intellectualism, these men that were speaking into their lives and and uh, again, the go-to source of truth for this, these folks in Corinth. And it proved to be quite difficult for these new believers to let go of that particular source of truth in their own minds. They really wanted to hold on to that, okay? So they were constantly wavering between the way the world acts and thinks to the way God's Word declares or describes that a true believer in Christ should act and think. And we see in the context that Paul says, hey, I would like to talk to you as spiritual men, but you're a bunch of spiritual infants. You keep wavering back and forth. And so all I can give you is milk. If I tried to put a piece of steak in your mouth, you'd choke on it, right? And so that's what he's trying to tell them. And that was kind of what was going on at this time. But this also caused those Corinthian believers to take the men of God then and act the same way with them the way they acted with these philosophers and these traveling speakers, and they would place them on pedestals. They would place them on this roster of the, you know, the who's who of, of uh, church leaders of these, uh, you know, so we hear them talking of, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Peter. They, they started this, this roster, right, of, of the men that they, uh, that they loved the most. And of course, they it became a competition and they disagreed with one another. And this, of course, caused division in the local church. Now, because of this in the immediate context, which the verses lead up to and directly following our passage today kind of describe, in the preceding chapter, we already read chapter 3, Paul calls them, again, spiritual babies. And he explained to them that this kind of behavior is unacceptable, that it's sinful, that to act this way is acting like the world. 
In chapter 3, Paul says that those men will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and their works, the thoughts and intents of their heart, will be judged, okay? And not only the church leaders will be judged, because the context is really talking about Paul, Apollos, and, and Peter. It's talking about the men who are teaching. They're going to be judged. But then he said, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each man's work will be tested by fire. It's this, this judgment day, but it's not judgment in a condemnation type of judgment. It's a judgment in a reward type of judgment in that if you suffer loss, you'll suffer loss and you'll be sad about it momentarily, but ultimately he's going to reward you and, and you will receive praise from Jesus Christ, okay? Um, but he says we have to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. I know that it sounds that it's difficult to speak that truth in today's world, but there is only one way to the Father, and that is through the person, the Son of Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God. And then he points them, Paul points these Corinthian believers in chapter 3 to the end of their lives and says that we should live our lives in such a way that we often consider the fact that one day we are going to stand before Christ Himself and we will, be, we will give an account and we will receive reward based on what we have done in this life. And again, this is not a burden on your shoulders like, ooh, I better, I better do this you know, the right way or that's going to be a terrible day for me. It's not going to be a terrible day. The worst that can happen is you suffer loss, yet you shall be saved as through fire, okay? But I believe that each and every one of us want to stand before Him and, and Him say, well done. Him reward you. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine what that day is going to be like, but I, I want to please my Lord. I, I, I'm assuming that you guys feel that way as well. So, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, then dictates how the congregation, through our passage, the congregation ought to see their leaders. This is the biblical way that you should see and view the leaders in the church, okay? And we learned that last week. So we're going to review that a little bit. Some of you guys were not able to be here last week. And also, we kind of had, we had a whole bunch of technical difficulties last week, so the message didn't get recorded, but we're going to review a little bit, okay? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, and we're going to walk through this real quick-like as we lead up to our passage today. 1 Corinthians 4, 1, let a man consider us in this manner. So he's saying, don't be creating these rosters, here's, what, here's how you need to look at leaders in the church. As servants, and that word servants is under rowers, the lowest of the low slaves in the whole uh, group of slaves, okay? So he's saying, when you look at the minister of God, you should see a slave to Christ. And that's, that's how you look at us. Um, and they are, second, he says, they are stewards of the mysteries of God. The preacher, the pastor, the teacher, the elder... They are stewards. They are caretakers of the Word of God. And they had better know that and they had better understand that. Uh, that's why God's Word tells us that I would not have you all become so many teachers. Like, there's a stricter judgment for those who stand in a place of authority and teach the Word of God. You get it wrong, you're going to have to give an account for getting it wrong. And so he's saying you are the caretakers, the stewards of God's Word. 
And so get it right. Make certain that you get it right. And it says why. Uh, it doesn't say why. I'm asking why. Um, in, in verse 2, because he says, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. So every single one, every single steward be found faithful to Scripture. And uh, again, why? Why should we be faithful to Scripture? Well, verse 3 But to me, it is a very small thing um, that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Now, reading this at face value, you're thinking, what is he talking about? I I don't understand this. Uh, Verse 4, For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So, here's what he's saying. You are not qualified to judge me as a leader because you can't see my heart and you don't know the thoughts and intents of my heart. So anything, any judgment you may make could be right, could be wrong. It's only God that can look at my heart and know why I'm doing the things I'm doing. In the same way, okay, he says, I can't even judge myself. I'm not even qualified to look at my own heart and say, oh yeah, I'm totally good here, and I can look at my life and say, well, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. Well, only God knows your heart. Only God knows you better than you know yourself. And so you are not even qualified to make a judgment of whether or not you will stand before God on that day and, and, you know, and be have rewards just heaped on you. Only God knows because He's the one who examines, okay? So he says, I can, I can look at myself and judge myself, but that doesn't mean I'm right. And you certainly aren't qualified. That's what he's saying there. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, because you're not qualified and because I'm not qualified, do not go on passing judgment before the time. There's an appointed time for judgment, and God is the judge. Now remember, we're not talking about judgment in the body of Christ. We're not talking about judgment of people teaching false things according to Scripture, twisting Scripture, that is a no-no. We're not talking about someone in sin, uh, in clear sin that the Bible dictates is sin. That's not judging according to something you don't know. We judge that according to Scripture, right? We can hold up Scripture and say, God's Word says it's wrong. Therefore, we can righteously judge as the body of Christ and say, if God's Word says this is wrong and you are engaging this type of activity, you need to repent and get yourself right with God, okay? You see the difference? Okay, so we judge according to Scripture when it's clearly stated in Scripture, but we cannot judge a man of God or any person of God who seemingly in their life have been faithful to Scripture and have been faithful to walk a walk that is holy and set apart before the Lord. So Paul is saying that when a pastor or preacher proves that his conduct is faithful to the Lord, and when he lives a life that honors God, and when a pastor is faithful to rightly dividing the word of truth and accuracy, that there is no place whatsoever to judge between these men of God and create this fantasy league of preachers, okay? Don't you dare choose among those righteous men as we, as far as we can tell, as far as their life proves, don't you dare choose between them. You are not qualified to do that. And Paul is making it very clear in this passage that that is sinful, that when we do that, that is sinful. We, we have a terrible, terrible habit these days of making celebrities out of pastors and preachers and men, and that is not supposed to 
to happen. Christ is the only celebrity in the body of Christ. He is the only one that should be receiving glory, and everything else should be kept in its proper place, okay? So he once again points them to the judgment of Christ, to the reward that he will give them upon his return uh, in the millennial kingdom, okay? Um, So, let me just say this too. Pastors, one way you can discern whether or not a man of God is a man of God is whether or not he is is actually trying to get the praise of people, whether he gets a little too big for his britches, okay, and he starts promoting himself, and those are red flags. I'm not saying the person is a, is a bad guy. I'm just saying you need to be discerning, and you need to know how to judge them based upon their actions and whether or not they're trying to heap praise upon themselves or whether or not they're trying to uh, promote themselves within the body of Christ as this this super spiritual person that has all the answers, okay? Um, A man in service to God should not seek the affirmation of people to hear them say, well done. The heart of a minister of God as a a slave of Christ should be that one day we will stand before God and I want to hear my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want accolades of men. I don't want the applause of men, and that should be for any pastor. And if any of you ever see me moving into that dangerous territory, you have my permission to give me a swift kick in the seat of the pants, point me to Scripture, bring me back home, okay? That is, that is my call to you as my brothers and sisters in Christ in this local body, okay? It should never, ever be about the pastor, okay? So, let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, 6. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now, these things, brothers, we're starting with our text today. Now, these things, brothers, I have applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. In other words, these things that I've been telling you in chapter 3 and prior, um, the mindset of the leaders, your mindset towards your leaders, um, He's saying, Apollos and I, we understand these. We get them, all right? And we've applied them to ourselves. And then he says, some of your versions might even say figuratively. And when it says that, it's pointing to the fact that he says, you are God's field. You are God's building. You're not literally a field. You're not literally a building. You're not literally a sanctuary. But figuratively, you are his field. You are his building. The body of Christ is his sanctuary. Do you understand what it's saying there? So he's saying that in us you may learn not to go beyond what is written. Now, we can learn a ton from this right here. This one statement should be something that we keep in mind when we read God's Word and we, when we consider what other men of God are saying and what other believers are saying. That in us you may learn not to go beyond what is written. Stick to Scripture alone. Don't exceed what Scripture says. Don't don't go beyond what's written, what the Holy Spirit gave us to consider and to live our lives, the conduct of our lives. Don't go beyond that. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. This is a pretty incredible passage. We've talked about it before, but Peter was pointing to the Mount of Transfiguration where he witnessed Christ begin to glow like a light bulb, okay, or a lightsaber, 
and, and his clothes became incandescent, and from the inside out, he transformed. And all of a sudden, the two uh, dead guys were standing there with him, Moses and Elijah, and they were having a conversation. And then all of a sudden, the voice of God came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to him. And, and so Peter's expressing his excitement about this experience that he had on the mountaintop, a mountaintop experience. And yet he points us to the Word of God, to believe the Word of God rather than human experience. He's saying that was an incredible experience. But now we have the Word of God that's more sure than even that human experience that I had. Let's read this real quick, 2 Peter 1, 19. And we have as more sure the prophetic word. Now, when the Bible talks of prophecy, it's not talking about future telling, okay? It's not talking about someone say, saying, thus saith the Lord, and then all of a sudden they're, they're telling you what God's going to do to you in the, in the near future. To prophesy means to speak before, just like I'm doing right now. I'm speaking before all of you. I'm standing up before you. I'm speaking the truth of God. That's prophecy. So, yes, in one sense, the prophets would speak future things. Revelation is a prophecy, prophetic in the future sense, but not all prophecy. Now, when we read the Word of God and proclaim the Word of God, that's prophecy. That's the prophetic Word. We are speaking and preaching the Word of God, and that is the prophetic Word. And that's what he's saying here. Better than human experience, you have the Word of God that you can hold in your hand. It is static. It is stable. It is foundational. We can hold it on our hands. We can study it. We can know it. We can hide it in our hearts. There's no question. We don't have to grasp at straws and wonder if what this guy said is true or what that lady said is true or not. We can read God's Word and understand God's Word all for ourselves if we will study to show ourselves approved. He says in 2 Peter 1.19, we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp in a dark place, shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So the word is the truth. Pay attention to it as it is your light in the darkness. In this dark world, in this confusing world, in this chaotic world, the Word of God is your lamp that shines in the darkness. Pay attention to it until Christ returns and we have the reality of being with the Word in the flesh. Amen? So, that's what he's saying. He says, know this first of all, verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. Now, I know you've probably heard this Scripture many times, and that word interpretation is not the word that you think it is. In, in other words, it means something other than the English word interpretation because we speak one language and someone interprets it, right? But what this is saying is the, the Greek word is it means to release. It's the beginning point, the genesis, or to set loose. So he's saying that for no prophecy was ever uh, released or set loose by a man. In other words, man didn't write the Bible. God did. Let's read what, what he says here in the next verse, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man. So he, he doubles down on it, okay? But men, being moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. 
And the picture here, again, is of wind filling the sails of a ship and them being carried along by the wind. The, the ship would just sit there if it weren't for the wind blowing and filling the sails. The Holy Spirit filled the sails, took these men, these specifically called men, and put the Word of God in there, filled them with the Word of God, and they wrote it down. These were God's Word dictated straight down uh, as was dictated. No changes whatsoever. And that's what we have to understand about Scripture, okay? And because the modern pastor is a slave of Christ, he should stick only to that which is written. Do not exceed what is written. Don't start sharing your, your great wisdom with all of us. How about you just stick to what God's Word says because God's Word is enough. Amen? God's Word is sufficient. So... Um, when a man does take it upon himself and woefully steps beyond what is written in Scripture and begins dispensing his own wisdom from his own mind and his own heart, what happens? Well, we see here, and continued in verse 6, he says, that, so that no one of you will become puffed up. It's arrogance. You start thinking you're a big shot, you're going to get arrogant. It's going gonna, it's gonna to grow and fester. And pretty soon, nobody's going to be able to stand, be able to stand you. Uh, he says, you'll become puffed up on behalf of one against the other. It's going to cause division. It's going to lead to arrogance, and then it's going to cause division in the church, okay? So it causes pride, and then it just begins to split up the body of Christ. And this is exactly what was occurring in that church in Corinth. They became disgustingly prideful, and that's what Paul is addressing in this Passage. So Paul then launches into this scathing rebuke of the Corinthians' pride, okay? And that's what we're going to, to see in the next few verses here. Is he's telling them, so you all have decided to step into this place of superiority. You think you're hot stuff, right? Um, you're praising these guys and you're dismissing these guys and and, and you're creating this roster of who's who and, and who we should listen to, and you're fighting amongst yourselves, and that is a place that only God should be. Only God is qualified to do that. Verse 7, For who regards you as superior? Who do you, uh, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you had not received it? What an interesting statement. So I want you to, just, just for clarity, let's consider something today. Consider this. You could have been born. You could have been born, instead of today, you could have been born in 1840, and you could have taken part as many families did in the Oregon Trail. Who played the Oregon Trail when you were in school? Yeah, I cannot tell you how many times my wife Sarah died of dysentery, okay? Um, <laughs> But that was a real thing, and these folks went on this 2,000-mile journey back then, and, uh, you know, oxen getting stuck in ditches, wagon wheels falling off, all that fun stuff. Those things really happened. Lots of people died on that, on that trail. You could have been born during that time and been a part of that whole thing rather than being born now. You could have been born a Jew in 1910, eventually facing the threat of annihilation from the Nazis, 
right? Having everything that you've worked for taken away from you and even having your family members uh, murdered in front of you. That could have been your, that could have been the time in which you lived, okay? You could have been born in the year 2000. Remember when, uh, remember that great disaster, Y2K? Uh, you could have been born in the year 2000, but not in America. Maybe you would have been born an aboriginal in New Guinea where you don't have running water and you have to primitively hunt for food and you, you fight to survive, okay? Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying here? You weren't born in any of those situations, in any of those times, in any of those circumstances. God in His infinite sovereignty allowed you to be born in the time in which you were born, in the country in which you were born. And let me just say, the greatest nation in human history is the United States of America, the wealthiest um, in one of the most peaceful periods of human history. We've had some wars, but on a scale of some of the things that we've seen in human history, not even close to... uh, the death and the chaos that came out of those. We have at our disposal more opportunity than just about any other generation in the history of the world. Even a person, I read a few years ago that if you've got $3,000 to your name, you're in the wealthiest 5% of people in the world. $3,000, consider that for a moment. So everything you have is because God placed you in the time in which He placed you, in the family in which He placed you, in the circumstances in which He placed you. And while we could all look at our lives and say, well, this has been rough and that's been rough, and we can, we can say, man, we've struggled here and we've struggled there, and you know, our families have had difficulty and we face trials and tribulations, very, very little in the grand scheme of things compared to what other humans have faced in the past. Amen? So Paul is, even during this time, he's, he's making... This point is to recognize where you live and the circumstances in which you live and the wealth that we have at our disposal and the opportunity we have at our disposal. None of us, not one of us in our society can claim to be a victim, a true victim of our circumstances or whatever. There are people that have it hard, but we need to keep things in perspective. Many, many people have had it way worse than we have. Even your skill that you have, you might be tempted to point to your skill and say, well, I've got a great intellect. Well, I mean, people are born all the time that don't have a great intellect. That was a gift from God. He allowed you to be born with such an intellect. He allowed you to be born with such creativity or with the ability to work with numbers and and mathematics, and do the things that you do in that regard. He gave you a skill set that came from Him, and you can't boast about that. You were born with that skill set. You may have developed and honed those skills over a period of time, but ultimately all of it was given by Him. Amen? All right. So to understand that is called humility. Well, they weren't understanding that. They had stepped up. Like I said, they were fancy pants. They got too big for their britches, and they started thinking that they were big shots, okay? And he says that that was puffed up. It's arrogance. You're like that big-throated frog, right, that's all puffed up, or the, you know, 
poking your chest out because you're just really something special. And that was the situation at the church at Corinth. They had begun to believe that they had attained and acquired their ability to stand in the place of God, enough so that they could stand in the place of God and make those kinds of judgments about the men of God and about people and just placing themselves ultimately in that place where only God should stand, proclaiming winners and losers, declaring which ministers and ministries were of value and which ones, which ones weren't, okay? And again, that's something that all God can do, and then only God can do. Now, he goes into something here that I actually love because it's, it's something that I sometimes um, get into and sometimes I get in trouble for, and he goes into this scathing sarcasm, okay? So Paul uses sarcasm with the Christians at Corinth, and, and, and we're going to see how biting his sarcasm is in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 4.8. He says, you are already filled. And that word filled is satisfied, completely satisfied. Well, look at you. Your belly's full. You've got everything you need. You have no need of me. You have no need of the other apostles. You, you have arrived. You're there. Boy, look at you. How fancy you are, right? Uh, and then he says, you have already become rich. You're already wealthy. Interesting how it mirrors what was written by the Apostle John to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3.17. Revelation 3.17, look what he says. He says, you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have no need of anything. And you do not know that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. In your own eyes, you believe you've arrived and you've attained this wealth. And, and in reality, you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the reality. And that's really what Paul is telling them here. How your pride has deceived you. And then the Apostle Paul points to the end again in verses 4, 8. He says, you have ruled without us. Look at you. You have superseded the apostles and you are ruling without us. Well, what does he mean by this? Well, Paul's already mentioned the judgment seat of Christ, this time of reward. And my personal belief in considering all of Scripture is that at this time of reward, we will receive, it uses gold, silver, precious stones. How many times does the Bible tell us that we are going to receive crowns? We're going to, there are various different crowns that the believer will receive. Well, a crown is a symbol of authority. And the Bible tells us that the believer is going to return and reign with Christ. And based upon what you do in this life, it is my conviction that God's Word says that you and I, according to what we are rewarded on that day, gold, silver, precious stones, will be given a level of authority during the millennial reign of Christ. And we will rule over a specific region, or I don't know if you're super spiritual, maybe you get to rule over Texas. I don't know. Uh, they need some good leaders down there, right? So do you understand what I'm saying? There's this idea that the gold, silver, precious stones are meted out on that day in order to give you a level of authority when you return with Christ and you will rule and reign with Him. And so Paul is referencing, he's already referenced the judgment seat, and now he's saying, um, he's saying, 
you're ruling without us already. You, you're already there. Look at Revelation 24, Revelation 20, verse 4. He says, uh, John says, I saw thrones, and those seated on them had been given authority to judge. So a throne represents uh, an authority or a king, okay? And then the authority to judge means you have been given this specific level of authority in this kingdom. In Revelation 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. That's what I'm talking about. Those are references and there are others, uh, of course, and that's a different message for a different day. But we know that Jesus Himself said this to the apostles. If you look, um, oh man, I didn't write down uh, where this is, but you can, you can uh, look it up probably just by putting in a few of the words here. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man, you can put that in and it'll bring the Scripture up. But Jesus said to them, to the apostles, Truly, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, and that's the millennial reign of Christ, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There is a future reality in which Christ will return and the twelve apostles will sit on twelve thrones and judge over Israel as Christ judges over the whole earth. That's hard for us to fathom, but just like in the garden was a different reality, just like in the time of Noah was a different reality, just like in the time before Christ came, there was a different reality and a different understanding of how things were unfolding in our relationship to God. There is a future reality in which Christ Himself will reign on the earth for a thousand years, and the believers will come and rule and reign with Him. And that's going to be a glorious time for the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, to reign with her groom, okay? And Paul is including himself as an apostle in this list of apostles that we just saw Jesus reference, okay? The fact that they're going to come back and reign with Him. And he's like, wow, you, you Corinthians, you're so good... So good, in fact, that in your own minds, you are already reigning. You're already in the millennial reign. You don't need us. You don't need Christ. You're just, you've arrived. You've made it without Him. You passed right by the judgment seat. Do not pass go, right? Do not collect $100 right past the reward ceremony, and you're reigning even without us, the apostles, to whom this was promised by Christ Himself. And then He changes His tune a little bit. And he says, how I wish that were the case. How I wish that you had ruled indeed so that we might also rule with you. I wish this were true, but it's not. That word wish, ophelon, is used to express a fruitless wish, a past tense wish. Just like you would say, I wish that were the case, but it's not. I wish that had never happened, but it, it didn't. You understand? And so... Um, he continues using sarcasm to drive the point home. The apostles were promised by Jesus that they would reign and judge, but Paul is saying we are definitely not in the millennial reign of Christ. You think you've arrived? You think this is it? You think we're reigning? This is not it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you proof as to why this is not it. 
okay? There were standards and guidelines for apostles, and we know that apostles had to be handpicked by Jesus Himself. That's what we learned recently, that Christ Himself chose the apostles, and we know that, that Paul Himself was handpicked by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then we know that Christ appeared to Paul many times, the resurrected Christ, after that, and gave him, uh, called him out and gave him the things in which he would teach, okay? And he says, I'm one of them, I'm one of the apostles, and you guys, you Corinthians, think that you have surpassed us. And he says, but look, here's the evidence, uh, verse 10, we are fools for the sake of Christ, but you are prudent, wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. So he continues with the sarcasm, you are glorious, but we are are without honor. So you're acting as if you've arrived and that you've superseded us. But look, the proof is the ones who were handpicked by Christ, these are, these are the things we're going through. If you're reigning, I should be reigning. And I got news for you, I'm not reigning. This is not the promise that I was looking for. This is not the reality. Verse 11, to this present hour, listen as he lists off these things. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst and we're poorly clothed and roughly treated, and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless, and we were persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we plead. We have become as the scum of the world and the grime of all things, even until now. He's saying, look, if this is the kingdom, if, if we're reigning, if you're reigning, then why is it that I'm still going through all of this persecution, these trials and tribulations? Why is it that I'm still facing death on a daily basis, is what Paul said in another letter. He says, every day we face the dangers of death, okay? Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, First Corinthians 13, 4, it says, Love suffers long and is kind. It envies not, and love is not puffed up. And let's just get to the heart of the matter. The issue here was arrogance. The issue was them being puffed up. And that was causing issues in the church. So when, when in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're eventually going to get there, when he's describing the church... He's saying it's all about love and how you love others and how you love God. And you're puffed up, you're being arrogant, and that is causing division. That's the issue. In 2 Corinthians 12, 20, 2 Corinthians, so time had passed, and he's still telling the Corinthians that you're still puffed up, you're still arrogant. Because a whole other batch of drama came along after 1 Corinthians and... and uh, and Paul had to deal with that as well. It actually even got more dramatic after this. But he's, he's basically saying, you were conceited. And even in the future, they were conceited. They clearly had a problem with pride. And pride is always destructive in a church. It splits people up. It tears a congregation to shreds because the mindset of pride is, and there's no way around this, the mindset of pride is, I'm for me. It's all about me. And that can't 
be a part of a local church where people serve one another and love one another. If you're all about yourself, all you're going to do is cause problems. But love says, love in the local body says, I'm for God first, and then I'm for you second, and I'll hang back here for me last. I'm going to put everyone else here before myself. And if everyone will do that, if everyone will make everyone else the priority, then everybody gets to be the priority. Do you see how that works? Christians, they can love and honor their leaders to such a degree, the Bible says, to what is written, to what Scripture allows them. So that doesn't mean that you have to treat Colton and I like scum, right? Um, I would prefer you not. Uh, um, But when there's a time and a place and it's appropriate and the Lord leads you to do so, um, and you do so out of love, then you can show your love and gratitude for your leaders in such a way not to, not to celebrate your leaders, not to celebrate us, but rather because we have given our lives as slaves of Christ, you honor Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you want to honor Him, then pray about how you want to love on us in that regard. But that's never a requirement. That should never be something that's expected. That's between you and the Lord. And again, it's, it's not about treating us as if we're, as Paul says, the scum of the earth, right? Uh, the off-scouring, uh, which is basically if you, you scrub something and there's this residue left behind, it's like worth nothing. That's what Paul's saying we are. But that should be our mindset in service to Christ for the leaders. Um, one last scripture I want to look at in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. He describes the local body, and he says, I want you, again, that's Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Paul says, I want you to be of the same mind, of one accord, having the same love. Do you think that's possible in this local church? Do you think, y'all, that we could accomplish this? I know we can't do it on our own, but did you know that this is the heart of God for His people, for every local church? That we would be of the same mind, of one accord, having the same love. How can you have a church that operates in this kind of unity? Is it even possible in today's day and time? I believe it is. And, and there's only one real way that you can accomplish this. And first of all, we all have to understand the importance and significance of the Word of God. That the Word means what it says, and that takes first priority. That it is the proclaimed and declared truth, God's actual words to His people. And if we all put that at the right priority, and we say, it doesn't matter what I've how I've been brought up, what I've ever believed, what God's Word says is truth, and I will submit my life to that truth. So you submit your life to the truth of God's Word first. And then in humility, we submit to Him. So we're all, if we all tried to just submit to one another and go around and say, okay, uh, Crystal, tell me here how I can serve you. Uh, Here's three things that, just go ahead and give them to me and I'll write them down. And then we go to everybody and we try to do that. You can you imagine how difficult that would be? And then we're all trying to serve one another in that manner. But no, here's, here's the great unifier. All together, we serve one God. 
We are faithful to Scripture. We are faithful to God. And then what trickles down is that because of our faithfulness to God, we are faithful and we act and serve one another in love. And that way, again, we all become the priority of everyone else. Uh, this is not in my notes, but there was, a, there was a man by the name of Moses. He called himself Moses. He was a homeless man in Sulphur Springs. I may have shared this with you guys. I don't know, but, but this was profound to me. He was homeless, and there was a time that I let him stay at our church in Sulphur Springs. Uh, I would unlock the door for him, and he would sleep on the couch in the church. And all he had to his name was a, was a 10-speed uh, bike, and he rode it all over the country. And so I would buy him some meals, and we would hang out together. I found him a house for a period of time, and, and, uh, and, and he was a very interesting man, to say the least. Um, and he wrote stories. He was like a creative genius. And one day we were talking and he told me a story about how if every single person who walked through the doors of the church treated every man who walked through the door like a king and every woman who walked through the door like a queen and we put ourselves last, then every single person, including myself, would be a king, and every single woman in the church would be treated like a queen, and, and it would just be this beautiful, unifying relationship. And that's what we're talking about here. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, Let each of you prefer others better than themselves. Let this mind... And then, and then, he, then he drops the bomb, Okay? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. God stepped down in the flesh of man, okay? He humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death on the cross. That kind of humility is how we should love one another. Humility brings unity. In Corinth, there was pride. The eventual re result was division. And when the church is divided, when there's drama and word of that spreads to the community, then that particular local church loses its influence in the community. It loses its influence over the, the families and the lives around them because they're selfish spiritual infants. I don't want to be a part of a church like that, do you? I want us all to understand what's at stake and what our calling is as the body of Christ. And let's love one another and serve one another. And if you've got a problem with me, come talk to me. And if I've got a problem with you, I'll come talk to you. And I'll do it in love. And we'll let the Scripture be the guide. We'll let Scripture be the standard. And we'll let humility lead the conversation. And we will walk away from that conversation loving and serving one another in humility. And God will be glorified through that. That is my, my passion for this local body. And if we stay small, so be it. Then we will be a powerful witness for the Lord as a small local body. If we grow bigger, so be it. Let God do what God wants to do, but let each and every one of us be faithful to Him and serve one another the way God's Word tells us we ought to. Amen? Let's pray.